0: But hey, we are in week two of our series, Emmanuel, God with us, getting ready, preparing for Christmas. And uh, really what this series is about is that for so many people, um, God and, and Jesus are kind of just this odd theology that they've heard or um, some church they went to or something they heard about. But Jesus himself and God himself invites us to know him more and deeply and far beyond just uh, a theology they heard once, but a personal experience and a personal uh, relationship. And Christmas really is the story of God proving to you that he wants to know you and be near you that he would become personal to each one of us. And so last week, what we talked about was really how God wants to meet you in the middle of the pressure and the difficulty and the stress and the trials. That that we all, in those moments, when they happen, not if they happen, but when they happen, we all turn somewhere. And some of those things um, help relieve the tension for the moment, but they end up becoming our master and they end up owning us, where Jesus invites us, when pressure hits, that we would flee to the presence of the Lord. That when difficulties and trials come, that our hearts would turn to find rescue and refuge in him. And that's what we talked about uh, last week. And this week, we're going to look at something a little different. We're going to look at the story of Mary and how God became personal to Mary in a way that um, is unique, but has incredible lessons for each one of us as we step into it. But before we get into it, I want to ask you a question. Um, I I want you to just pause and think about the most blessed person that you know. If you were to say, man, this person is blessed. Now, think about it in your mind. I'm sure three or four names probably came up in your mind. Um, but, but when you have that person, picture them. And then I want you to then begin to define what is true of their life that makes them blessed. So you consider them blessed because what? Right? And then fill in the blanks uh, for yourself there. Maybe it's when you drive by their house and you look at it and you go, that brother's blessed, right? Or you uh, see them pull up in the car and go, ooh, hashtag blessed, somebody's Instagramming that one later, right? Like there's all these reasons for why we would call blessings. So I want you to think through it. It's important to where we're going because blessings is one of those words that we throw around all the time, right? It's probably in your kitchen on a nice pretty farmhouse sign or something like that. If you have Instagram, it's probably a hashtag you frequently turn to. But we, we use it in all sorts of weird circumstances, right? Like I've heard people say, like, oh, the blessing of God was on me because I got the close parking lot at Good Friday. i not, not Good Friday. Uh, that, that, that may be true. On Black Friday <laughs> at the grocery store, right? Like there, there's just weird things. And, you know, obviously when somebody sneezes, what do we say? All right, we still don't know why, but we just do it anyway out of social compulsion, I guess. But um, there's just this idea, and I think by and large what it really means is kind of lucky. That's what we we tend to use it as. Oh, that person's really fortunate. They're really lucky. But what we're going to see in Mary, in the story of Mary, is that it's totally and utterly misdefined. That God's going to redefine what blessing looks like through Mary and through the scriptures. And I think if we lean into this conversation today, you would walk away not only understanding what it means to be blessed, but really have a better understanding of the gospel, better understanding of God's heart for you, and maybe even some framework for the life that you are currently experiencing. When the angel Gabriel showed up to Mary and just began to tell her this shocking news that, hey, you're pregnant and you're pregnant with God Almighty, um, he says this phrase to her. He says, you are blessed and highly favored. Now, maybe you don't know what blessed and highly favored mean, but, but essentially, you are esteemed among others. There is something special that God has placed on you. Well, she also finds out that Elizabeth, her cousin, is pregnant. And so she goes to visit her. And I want you to read uh, together with us Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be in Luke 1 most of our morning together. If you don't have one, we'd love to get a Bible in your hands back at our Welcome Center. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me. But here's what she says. Elizabeth, speaking to Mary in the, through the Holy Spirit, says this. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, Blessed is the child you will bear. Verse 45, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. See that three times in that short text, she basically says, blessed, blessed, blessed. So Mary should be a pretty good picture for us then of what it means to walk in and receive the blessings of God in our life and what those look like. So we're gonna go ahead and read um, through the Song of Mary um, and yes, it is a song, and I've decided to bless you with actually singing through this, and then I'm gonna preach on it. Those of you who know me, that would be a curse, not a blessing, <laughs> all right? <laughs> if it, I actually thank God all the time that I'm pastoring in an era where the pastor doesn't have to pre- or sing, because none of you would be here if that was true, all right? He would sp- I don't think the, the calling is on your life, brother. I just don't think you have it. But all right, I don't have to sing. We'll leave that to Luke. They do a great job. Verse 46, and Mary said... My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has lifted up the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away. Empty. He has helped to serve in Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This song is an incredible song, and you can spend some time maybe just listening to it and rereading it over this week. Um, but as you read this and you see just this repeated thing of he has, he has, he has, she's just extolling how God has done such incredible things for her. And if you read this, not knowing any context, you think she's living in the lap of luxury. <laughs> like God is just showing up for her in mighty ways, doing incredible things. But then if you were to look at the context of Mary's life, you'd have a hard time believing any of this to be true. You'd have a hard time understanding any of this to be reality because the reality of Mary's life was not pleasant at the moment. It was not necessarily wonderful. It was not necessarily that God was doing great things. You see, she um, is told this news that she's going to be with child, but she's not married yet. And so in that culture, she was a virgin. And so for a virgin to be pregnant out of wedlock means that it wasn't the um, significant other for sure. Which means she was loose which is an incredibly huge deal in that culture. It's less of a deal in our culture uh, today, but for them it would have been social exile to be pregnant out of wedlock. She would have been stained for the rest of her life, and actually what was true is her reputation was stained for the rest of her life. Even up until Jesus went to the cross, there was rumors about who the dad actually was, and those rumors were hurtful and and painful. No, they were rumors and they weren't true, but it ruined her reputation that this was the story that got out about her. The other thing is that um, somehow, someway, God thought it wise to not tell Joseph this whole story until nearly three months later. And so he finds out that she is loose, shall we say, because he doesn't believe the story that God came and put a baby inside of her, all right? Understandably so. None of you would believe that story either. And so he sets out to divorce her. Um, Their culture was a little different. They were engaged to be married, um, which meant a lot more than it does now. So essentially he went through this whole process of kind of quietly dismissing her and he was a respectful man, so he did it quietly, but she's losing the love of her life. Now ultimately, Gabriel does show up and say, the baby is God's, stick with her. And he believes her. He's a man of faith. Or he believes the angels, so he's a man of faith. And he goes, and they, Jesus is born. And as part of the customs, they have to go and offer a sacrifice on behalf of Jesus. Well, the sacrifice that they offer at the temple should have been a lamb. Uh, but the law provided a provision, if you were too poor to afford a lamb, that you could um, give to turtle doves, which was really um, for the poorest of the poor. And that's the sacrifice that they gave for Jesus. So it, it showed that she was the poorest of the poor. And and that's who God chose to show up to. We'll talk more about that next week. But if you look at this just already, blessed and highly favored is not the words you're going to use. And then there's the reality that as best as we can tell from um, scholars and everything we know about the context, that she's at the oldest 17 years old. Perhaps she was even younger. So now she's a teen mom. All right? I have one kid and one on the way. Being a parent's tough. (laughs) going through that stuff. Now, I had the easy side of it. I understand that, okay? But we're not 17. We're not 16. The reality of a teen mom was incredibly difficult for her, not only because she's probably losing a lot of the social support because of the nature of this pregnancy, but just cast off and, and like, listen, you try to go back to your family and say, listen, an angel came and the baby's gods, all right? No one's believing you, Mary. Find a better story, right? You should, like, it's awful. But here's what you need to consider about this. And this is where the story kind of hinges. This was God's plan for Mary. God did this to Mary. God ruined her reputation. God could have told Joseph, yet he didn't. God could have given her a bunch of money and child support. (laughs) but he didn't. He could have chosen somebody older, but he didn't. You see, God ruined her reputation, and get this, it wasn't punishment. None of what God did to Mary was a punishment. It was a blessing. Now, as you read this, this is not how you, when you thought of the person that was most blessed, none of these facts followed the description of that blessed person. And I think it's because we've misunderstood what the Bible is teaching us about the nature of blessings. See, Mary is an incredible example for us. And sadly, um, that incredible example has been taken too far in some circles and believed that Mary was sinless. And um, none of what is somewhat believed about Mary by those who will perhaps pray to Mary or worship Mary comes out of this text. Because if you read this text, what Mary is saying explicitly is that she's not amazing. She's not awesome. She's not sinless. Because read this in verse 47. She said, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary knew her position. It was in one of needing rescue. Next verse. He has been mindful of the humble state. She knows who she is. She's not pretending. She's his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Not will be blessed through me, but will call me blessed. Verse 49. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Could this be true in our life if we sat in the same circumstances Mary was sitting in? See, what Mary was doing was incredibly important to us in our life because she was in a position where nothing external looked like a blessing. It looked like hardship. And yet she chose to place her joy on something so much better, so much more permanent. And here's here's what she was doing. Mary is rejoicing, not what God has given to her, but what God has become in her through Christ. She wasn't rejoicing over God doing all of those things out there, though those are true. Her joy was tied to the fact that Christ was in her. Emmanuel, God with us. See, Jesus with her was what satiated all of her desires. It was her only sustenance. It was her salvation. And what's true for Mary can be true for us. If we understand this, that God's greatest blessings are not what he will do for me, but who he has become in me. See, I bet as you uh, listed off the blessed person, or at least initially listed off the blessed person, a lot of it had to do with the external blessings that they have received. And so we equate so often the blessing of God to the things of God. Now, those things are good. And if God has given you, you're to leverage them for his glory. But what Mary shows us is that our joy has to be attached to something so much more permanent. If your joy is attached to something you lose, you will lose your joy. What Mary is telling us is my joy is attached to something that you could never take from me. You may take my reputation, you may take my money, you may take my status, you may even take my fiance, but my joy is tied to something you can't touch, and it's the presence of God in my life. He's doing something really cool through Jesus, and Mary is um, uh, singing about that in the last two lines of this song, which she says, she says, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he has promised our ancestors. She finishes the song by saying, I remember the promises that God spoke to Abraham, which the promise to Abraham thousands and thousands of years ago was I will bless you to be a blessing to the nations. What Mary is saying is maybe you've misunderstood the nature of that blessing, but the blessing is Jesus. So Jesus came to fulfill that promise that he would then be a a blessing to others. Not that he would bring blessings, though he does, but that he would be the blessing. But when Jesus showed up as a baby and Gabriel broke the silence to tell Mary that Jesus is coming, it was the first time God had spoken in 400 years. So if in your Bible, if you're in the Old Testament, you get to Malachi, you get to the last page, and then there's that blank white page that says New Testament, that represents 400 years of God not saying anything. And so for 400 years, they sat and waited, wondering if God forgot them, wondering if God had forgotten his promises, and he chooses to break the silence in this way. And previous to that 400 years, this promise to Abraham was made thousands of years ago. But through that whole narrative, and through those 400 years of silence, and through what he's doing with Mary, he was accomplishing the same promise in that he was working to bring forth Jesus. That from the very beginning of time, the answer has always been Jesus, and he was working through the silence, and he was working through the difficulty to bring Jesus to the center, not only of history, not only of Mary's life, but to the center of salvation. And so it is true in your life and my life. Perhaps you feel like you're in a a season of silence where God's not answering you and God's not showing up and you just, you can't quite hear him and you feel the difficulty. God is working in the silence to bring forth Jesus in you. God is working through the difficulties and the trials to bring forth Jesus in you. The problem is if we've defined blessings as the external things that we get to rejoice in, when God begins to work through and in hardship, we call it a curse, not a blessing. Maybe the trial that you're walking through or have walked through recently is the very thing God is using to shape you and mold you and bring about Christ in you. But we won't see it. We won't acknowledge it. We'll say God's forgotten because there's no way that could be God's blessing. It's because we've misunderstood blessing. There's a a children's book and it, it says this. I just, I love it. I wanted to read it to you today. It says, when God promises to bless you, he is saying, I'm going to make you and everything I've ever meant for you to be. Another way to say, I'm going to make you where you exist less and Christ exists more, where Christ is most prominent in your life. Next line. It means that God is taking every day and every single thing that happens in it, good or bad, to make you stronger, to mend what is broken inside, to change you into the person you were always meant to be, which is one who looks like Christ. Could it be And in the good and the bad, God is doing all of that so that you would attach your joy to something far more permanent than your circumstances, that that the inner being of your heart would be unshakable because I know my God is going to work this out for his good. I want to go back to this being God's plan. Why did he choose to do it this way? Why did he choose to ruin Mary's reputation? He could have done it any other way. Why did he send her through the season of difficulty? I think perhaps it's because he was giving her a taste of what the baby in her belly was going to have to walk through. See, the road for Jesus to the cross was one of being a social outcast, one of being misunderstood, one of being uh, abused and ultimately killed for um, our sins. And I think Mary gets a taste of that. And I think the reason why is because that's actually a blessing. And that sounds weird, but listen to what 1 Peter chapter 4 says. But say it with me: rejoice, inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Let's pause there. What? <laughs> Don't just read this, like digest this. <laughs> He's saying the level at which you experience the suffering of Jesus, the level at which you feel the pain for the sake of Jesus, that's how greatly you should rejoice. Which is so counterintuitive, is it not? <laughs> what we say is the level in which we feel suffering is the level at which if I'm allowed to be grumpy. How hard my life is gives me an excuse of how miserable I can be in my countenance. But what it's saying here is that is actually the determinant for how joyful you should be so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Pointing at something incredibly key that our, our joy is attached ultimately to God getting glory next verse. I actually highlighted this whole verse and realized that wasn't helpful, but I think the whole verse is incredibly important. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Can I tell you again, that was not in your list of definition of a blessed person. Oh, and that person gets insulted all the time for Jesus. They must be blessed. Like that's, it's just not there. But God's redefining it for us, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. do you catch this? It says, the blessing in your life is measured not by the things, but by the presence of God on you. And the way we know the presence of God is on you is because when Jesus is so preeminent in your life and people insult you for Jesus, your heart rejoices that person is the blessed person because they understand the nature of what God is doing on this earth and in eternity. Jesus is gonna grow up and he's gonna preach a sermon and we know him as the Beatitudes and he's gonna redefine even further for us what blessing means. And I wanna read a few of them to you. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, not typically what we think, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. He keeps going on for another few verses just saying, this is what it means to have the favor of God on your life. And it means that whatever your circumstances are, your joy is attached to something far greater which is what Mary is going to show us in verse 46. I'm going to read it to you again, but we're going to read it in a different translation because I love the way it says it. it says, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. In the middle of all of those circumstances, she says, I'm choosing to make the Lord large in my heart like a magnifying glass going, whatever you choose to enlarge in your heart is ultimately what your joy will be tied to. See, whatever you magnify, you rejoice in. So Mary was saying, you know, I choose to magnify the Lord and my joy is attached to that, but what happens is if you magnify the approval of men, if that's what's large and important in your heart, then your joy is going to be attached to whether they complimented you on your outfit or not. Your joy is going to be attached to what they thought of you, what circles you got invited to, what people said about what you did. If your joy is or if you magnify comfort, your joy is going to be attached to how much me time you got. Your joy is going to be attached to how many nice things you could afford that gave you comfort. If you're magnifying the behavior of your kids and what it makes you look like as a parent, your joy is ultimately going to be tied to whether that kid is behaving properly or not. Do you see what's happening here? Whatever we make important, which is what we call blessings, is what your joy is ultimately hinged to. And what Mary is teaching us and what Peter is teaching us is that if you could hinge your joy, not to any circumstances, but to Christ in you, no one could ever take it from you. No one could ever steal your joy. No one could ever diminish your joy. And joy should actually operate kind of like a smoke alarm in our life. That if you don't have joy, it's a pretty good um, indicator that you've moved your hope from Jesus to a lesser blessing. That you've removed it from the inalterable promises of God's presence in your life to something less than. Another way to ask this question is what has to be true in your life in order for you to have joy? As you look into the future or even your present, what has to be there? Do you have to have the friend circle you want? Do you have to have the job that you want? Do you have to have, like, what, what is in there? And if you said, if I were to lose these things, man, my joy would go with it. It's a pretty good indicator of what we're magnifying in our life. See, the reality is the only thing you will never lose on this earth is Christ in you. There will come a day when everything will be taken except for Christ in you. And so why not choose to live a life where you can't touch my joy? Now, I'm sad and I grieve and I mourn, and those are all a reality of the ebbs and flows of life, but yet my joy remains unmoved. You say, but you don't know my circumstances. You wouldn't be joyful if you were in my circumstances. I want you to read what Habakkuk says about this. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Let me pause right there. Though there's no food on the grocery store shelves, though there's no money in the bank account, Though the well has run dry and they turned off the water, though the electricity has gone out. That's the equivalent of what he just said. Life is at the absolute bottom. Verse 18 Yet, despite, in light of, however, I will still rejoice in who? The Lord. And an anchor that cannot be moved. I will be joyful. He's speaking to his own heart with determination saying, I know this stinks. Yet I choose to place my joy on him and I will rejoice. And here's why. Verse 19. The sovereign Lord, the one who knows all, sees all, has everything under his control, has everything underneath his power. Nothing is outside of his plan. He is my strength. He is the one I cling to. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and enables me to tread on the heights. And here's what he said. I know all of this is true, but I've chosen to not attach my joy to any of this. I've placed it on Jesus. And because I've placed it on Jesus, he has taken me to a deer to the height of the mountains where my joy is untouchable. You can't reach it. Come and get me. You have to get through God first because you can't take it from me. What, what if that was the reality of all of our hearts? That your joy really was untouchable. I would say the world would look at you and say, you're crazy. <laughs> yeah, I'm not of this world. I don't belong here. I belong someplace else. You can find out what it is, too. See, but here, here's my challenge for you. Because this week, the reality is you're going to have a lot of opportunities to be grumpy. You're going to have a lot of opportunities to be upset about silly things. You're gonna have a lot of opportunities to go into a room and argue about something the in law said. You're gonna have a lot of opportunities to get annoyed at a driver, especially if you're in New York, all right? Something special about the Vestal Parkway. <laughs> you're gonna have unlimited opportunities for the lesser things of this world to rob your joy. And would you just stand in defiance this week? You can't have my joy. That situation isn't enough to take it from me. And would you just commit this week to not be grumpy? All right, all right. That's it. Because you don't have to be. Because regardless of what has transpired in your life, Christ in you is enough. The question for your heart is, will you make the fact that Christmas is the story where Jesus came to rescue you large in your heart? and magnify that this season, and everything else will fit into place. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today from so many different walks of life and so many different places and so many different backgrounds, and yet we're faced with the same question. Is Christ in us enough? Lord, I know my own heart, and I know that I don't possess the strength in me (laughs) to keep my joy intact. I'm weak, and I let it be attached to things that are not ultimate, and I pray that you would give us strength, God, that if we're in that moment of deciding to magnify you or to magnify something else, God, that we would look to you. Lord, I pray for every heart in the room as we come into this week that there would just be a smile we can't shake that our hearts would be rejoicing and deliberate in bringing you glory and honor and praise. I pray for every individual that we're going to invite to the Christmas Eve service and those who are going to hear the good news about Jesus that he's come to set us free. Lord, I pray that you would give soft hearts. I pray that you would give us courage to invite um, and that your spirit would show up, God. We can't do anything of value without you moving on the hearts of your people. So God, I pray that this season would be a season where God with us just becomes so evident and so personal. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.